we're doing a quick summary of ESMO um, what, and bladder, kidney and prostate cancer. Um, I'm, we're joined with Chris Sweeney from Dana Farber. Chris, you're moving institutions soon. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah. Do you want to say where you're going to? Just let one know. I'm going to the University of Adelaide, a new institute called South Australian Immunogenomics Cancer Institute in December 2022. Well, welcome. And I have the great honour of being the inaugural director. Good for you. Good for you. So, look, um, I'm going to kick off, if I may. I'll talk about bladder cancer really quickly and then uh, we'll move on. Um, I guess the, there is a big issue in bladder cancer in that we know that EV plus Pembro uh, in a cohort of about 45 patients presented a couple of years ago um, in, in uh, cisplatin ineligible first line disease, EV plus Pembro response rates of about 73% and then subsequently published in the JCO um, PFS of 12 months, OS of 24 months. Remember Maria DeSantis's trial, but even in the more recent studies, you know, response rates of 45% would be seen to be good. Um, PFS of six, seven months and OS of 10 to 14 months. So these data that we know already um, for EV Pembro in a small cohort of patients, but fantastic. And this is the famous cohort K that's being presented by Jonathan Rosenberg. And essentially it's EV versus EV Pembro. It's not a huge study, uh, about 70 patients in each arm, something along those lines. Um, but um, we, uh, there's already been a press release talking about the response rates of about 65%. Um, and we're going to see the DFS. We hope we're going to see the TFS. I don't know what we're going to see. And the OS data. And we'll also see how it compares with EV. And the reason that's important is there's a study around the corner called EV302, which is um, EV plus Pembro versus chemotherapy plus or minus evalumab some patients evalumab permitted in the control arm of that trial and that's going to be the you know the classic randomized phase three and uh, the component parts the contribution of the component parts is important we know that ev alone in the third line setting has response rates of 40 percent we know post-immune therapy has response rates of 50 percent and there'll be a question about you know how much is pembro really contributing and i think the durability durability of response is going to be really important i suspect that it, i've got no idea but i suspect ev by itself is going to come in somewhere in the region of 55 percent if it's 50 percent post io therapy second line it's probably going to be higher than that maybe about the same maybe but i don't know but the reality is that this is going to set the scene for the big randomized trial and indeed if the results are exceptional um one might want to go to the fda with this data set and say you know what do you think so i um and again i've got no detail of that process so I think it's perhaps some of the most exciting data that we're going to see for a long time, and it's super important. Um, the other question you might say, well, what else is at the, at the meeting? And there are two oral presentations um, around biomarkers. There's one looking at PDL1 and um, co-expression on dendritic cells um, from the, um, the atezolizumab program that Enrique Grande's um, uh, presenting, uh, and we're looking forward to that. Um, the expression of PDL1 on tumor cells and immune cells has been a real area of controversy in bladder cancer for a long time. And now better defining those immune cells by separating dendritic cells out, I think is really interesting. Uh, and so I think that's a nice piece of work. That's an oral presentation too. Um, there's um, also a presentation on some epigenetic work, chromatin confirmation signatures, which um, chromatin controls um, RNA expression um, via epigenetic mechanisms and there's some circulating biomarker work on that as well. Perhaps some of the bits that's really important is what's not there. 
we're still not seeing the nivolumab oval survival signal from the adjuvant trial. Um, it's a secondary endpoint of the study. It would be nice to see it um, at some point. Uh, as you know, it's <laughs> getting FDA and EMA approval off PFS alone. We genuinely don't know what it's showing. The EMA has approved it in the biomarker positives, the FDA in all comers. We don't really know what's driving these decisions. But at some point, patients will need to know what the survival is. Uh, and of course, because the primary endpoint of the trial has been met, strictly speaking, this is somewhat academic about the OS. And of course, the period of therapy is finished. Patients have had their year of therapy, so they're off the trial now. So it's hard to say that there might be contamination or crossover. Uh, so it's not clear to me why we haven't seen that. And I think we should see it relatively soon. We also had the Ipinevo versus chemotherapy trial, the PD1 biomarker positive patients. We were told in a press release that that didn't hit its endpoints of survival. Again, it doesn't look like that's at the meeting and that's disappointing. I was really hopeful that, that trial was going to be positive. Um, and I've talked about that. We've talked about that on our podcast previously. I think that's also relevant and it would have been nice to see that. Um, and, uh, and and that's sort of where we are in, in urothelial cancer. But Tom, it sounds like, you know, the EV Pembroke clinical data, clearly the highlight and then and then correlate data and then all the sort of the correlate translation that you talked about for bladder. Yes. Yeah. Any more questions about bladder cancer <laughs> or can we move across? Oh, let's move on. Okay, Brian, why don't you follow up? Let's move up the track. Yeah, so big year for kidney cancer. Big year for kidney cancer at ESMO. Probably the biggest biggest ESMO for RCC, certainly in in my lifetime. So cosmic uh, Ipinevo Cabo versus Ipinevo. We know from a press release that PFS was positive and that OS did not hit or was called immature. Um, These data are really important. It's the first triplet for the field. It's going to be a lot of questions around the toxicity of this regimen. What are you getting for the three drugs? It's not surprising there's a PFS benefit because Cabo-Nevo would probably beat Ipinevo on PFS. So the, t- the tumor shrinkage advantages, I know we've not you know, seen all the data, are not surprising. Um, I think without OS, this regimen won't be adopted um, because there's clearly going to be more toxicity. Um, unless the PFS was 30 months and the response rate was 85% or the CR is 20%, none of which I think are true again, not having seen all the numbers yet. So it's just the first, it's just the start of the triplet story in kidney cancer, but I think it's an important um, first signal. So we'll look, look forward to those data, of course. Um, and then the other big category is, is there's you know, three negative adjuvant studies being presented. Obviously the Keno Pembro study was positive. It's been presented and published. Update looked even better. Hazard ratio, I think 0.63 for DFS. No OS yet, but trending in the right direction and is, is now proved in, in, at least in the U.S., commonly used. And so we kind of assume, well, gee, you know, all these are going to be going to be positive, kind of like we assumed all the TKI trials would be negative, you know, until S-Track came out. And there's O1O, which is a Tezo, um, um, again, which, which we know from the press release is negative. Um, there's BMS's Ipinevo versus placebo um, uh, we, there is a Nevo arm that's not being reported because that was added later. And then PROSPER, which is the ECOG study, which included a neoadjuvant dose. So a lot of details pending. And all of these, interestingly, are a little different in terms of PD-1 versus PD-L1, neoadjuvant dose versus not, duration of therapy, inclusion of IPI, et cetera, et cetera. So there are, there are differences from the keynote study, but I think this whole field sort of is going to need to be reexamined in that light. And so as we get the details of these studies, it's going to be a really interesting discussion about you know, does it impact people's perception of the keynote data or their use? 
where do we go from here? What do we build on, et cetera? Um, to me, that's probably the most interesting set of trials at, at ESMO, three oral presentations. Um, Brian, there's a bit of more. There's, there's, the, there's some Len Pen data kicking around there as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. Yeah. Um, I was going to talk about BEMPEG next. Uh, yeah, far away. Conjugated IL-2 later, but um, uh, you know, we know the trial's negative. Um, and this was the first of these IL-2 conjugates that was supposed to stimulate you know, uh, the good T cells, not the bad ones, you know, unlike regular old high-dose IL-2. But this, this drug sort of failed across multiple trials and indications, so it's not clear why. Um, but at least in, in RCC, it won't be moving forward, and we'll see what the other IL-2 conjugates bring. And then last two things, there's um, phase two study of Cabo plus Belzutifan. And I think these data were presented by our friend and colleague, Dave McDermott, very preliminarily, but this is an update. And whether or not HIF adds to TKI is an important question for the field. We don't yet have proof of that, but this, this won't be definitive because it's single arm, but it'll be an important piece to see if, if that's a strategy moving forward. And then lastly, Tom, you mentioned Len Pembro in non-clear cell. There's um, been Cabo Nebo data in non-clear cell, I think presented at ASCO or ASCO GU, and this will be uh, Len Pembro large study looking at that combination. We don't really know how to treat non-clear cell. I think many of us use doublets, but frankly, without a whole lot of, of strong data. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Um, Sweeney, what have you got? Well, just think, Actually, before just we get question. before we get there, question for you. Yeah, you far away. Sorry, <laughs> I was just going to say, have both of you taken those nice pink pills that you're being nice to each other and you're not interrupting? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to ask a couple of questions, um, if I may. So the first one, Brian, is that do you think we're reaching a turning point in kidney cancer? You described a frontline trial. Um, which the BEMPEG trial plus NEVO, which was negative. Up to now, we've only had positive frontline trials with immune therapies. We've not had big randomized, tri- I mean, big randomized negative trials. I, I think that, strictly speaking, Bevatezo was positive DFS in its primary mm-hmm. endpoint. Yeah, and indeed, so was Evalimab as well. So we've had our first big negative trial. And then we've also had press releases of two negative adjuvant trials, including a negative IPNEVO adjuvant trial. And you, you would expect that if, if Pembro is positive, that Ipinevo would be positive in a big commercial, well-conducted randomized phase three. Yeah. What's what's gone wrong? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think the details are going to be important. Was it some patient selection, right? Risk of recurrence matters a lot in terms of being able to show a difference. Maybe duration of therapy, maybe toxicity. I mean, there's no reason to think there's a difference between Pembro and Nevo, to my knowledge, at least in my mind to this point. Um, but I think there's a number of hypotheses, but but you know, sitting here now until we have full data, I'm not sure. So it's going to be a super exciting kidney cancer session for that. <clears throat> yeah. No, can I, I just lead, can I just lean in on that? And this goes to you as well, Tom, on the DFS benefits without the OS. Uh, is it possible that these immune therapies, which work really well in some patients in the metastatic setting, that some of these patients will be salvaged if, with deferred therapy and it might dilute the OS signal? Sure. Uh, the DF, DFS signal. Not, well, I, dilute the OS signal, yeah. I sorry, think, yes, sorry. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, dilute the OS signal, yeah. So one could get dilution of that. But in the end, if, you know, one of my concerns around the adjuvant setting is we are over-treating a lot of patients who are never going to relapse. And yeah. indeed, in some of the lower risks patients, all, you know, a, a very small minority are going to relapse. Um, and 
this unselected approach, which inevitably results in over-treatment, is obviously diluting the effect of the drugs, but potentially putting people who don't need drugs in harm's way. So, you know, one of the things that I'd like to see in the future is an attempt to identify biomarkers in whom these pay, these these drugs work. Um, because I think some patients, are, you know, in the not so much in the metastatic setting, I think everyone wants to go at it and we want the latest drugs yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. But in the adjuvant setting, we're putting some people in harm's way who clearly don't need the drugs. And in fact, it's quite a lot of the patients. In some cases, it's more than 50%. So I, the reason why I ask that is when you take the step to where we, to kidney cancer, uh, sorry, testis cancer, where we've got comfortable with deferring systemic therapy only if the patient relapses because the therapy is so effective for the relapse in the in those patients who yeah we're not there yeah well the well the dfs benefit is like modest in one study it's it's sure it's the hazard ratio yeah, well, six and that's look, looking good but the absolute three... numbers are but is but the, the uh the absolute benefit is 10 percent. how many patients do you have to cure in the metastatic setting to actually lose that dfs uh, to, if, if the cosmic uh, three data comes in with 30 percent cr rate and 70% yeah. response rate. And, and then, you know, then we're going to have to ask serious questions about whether we need to be doing this. But yeah. we need to wait and look at that data. And that's why I think the Cosmic 313 data, because I don't know how you feel about this, Brian, but once this triplet therapy comes out and once these adjuvant therapy studies come out, what is well, what have we got left in the locker? What is there next in kidney cancer? Yes, there's a Beldutafan trial. Yes, there's some other triplet trials. But what is the next big, exciting question? What is the, what yeah. is the next practice check? What is that, Brian? Answer the question for me. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, as you know, there's a, another big Merck sponsored triplet study going on, which right? I think is so super that, cool. I think it's worthwhile answering that question. Yeah, 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 we have answered so the, the triplet question already. Well, I don't know if we'll have asked and answered the triplet question entirely with one study. Okay, but, fine, I agree. But to your point, I think it's going to have to be new mechanisms, right? It's either well, it's one of two things. It's either we discover and effectively test and utilize biomarkers to select patients. We've done a a poor job of that in renal cancer. So that, that would be one, or we discover drugs with new mechanisms, right? Metabolic drugs, et cetera, et cetera, you know, metabolic pathway drugs or whatever it might be to then, to then incorporate that into combination therapy. And Brian, we're talking about new drugs at our Euromigos meeting in Nashville, aren't we? Uh, we will. And each, yeah. each session we will have a new drugs. Nice plug. Nice yes, plug. That was, it wasn't intentional, <laughs> but we are talking about that. <laughs> this um, commercial break brought to you by. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, Quick, uh, two questions. A question for both of you. Yeah. To, for a patient who relapses after their uh, cystectomy, Tom, yeah. with no positive disease, and uh, what do you counsel them on their potential cure rate with chemotherapy or immunotherapy? And I'll ask that to you as well, Brian. So I think at the moment we don't know what the – we know – from assuming they've had neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which is be a standard, and they've relapsed, and the question is, what what would you counsel them for adjuvant nivolumab? I mean, I think that you, it's fair to say that if they fall into the category of the study, um, and providing it's not an upper tract tumor, um, I think it's fair to say that you know there's about a thirty percent reduction in the risk of relapse, um, and uh, in and that's what the FDA's approach. The EMA's approach is a 50% reduction or a 47% reduction in the risk of relapse in the pdo one positive population in which it's licensed in Europe. I think it's fair to say there's a 10% chance of life-changing toxicity. Um, and uh, I think it's also fair to say we don't have any overall survival signal yet. And there is a trial with a tezolizumab, which is similar to nivolumab in urothelial cancer at least. And in that trial, 
Uh, we didn't see an overall survival signal. So without clear survival as it stands, there is a, you know, there is a risk that by having this therapy that um, you're, you may be delaying the time of the cancer coming back. We don't know what effect that has in the long term. And that's why I said the survival signal and I maintain the survival mm. signal in this and in other trials is important. Yes, and recognising most patients don't get new adjuvant therapy. But I suppose, Brian, the patient who has gets this nephrectomy, they relapse two years later, they've not had adjuvant pembrolizumab. What would you say their cure rate is with uh, a TKI PD-1 inhibitor or a uh, epinevo? Yeah, I think it's in the 10 to 20% range. I mean, I think if you look, the epinevo PFS of five years was 30%. Again, there's some censoring going on, but we don't really have long-term follow for IOTKIs. You know, mm-hmm. it was like 29% at three years for Axipembro. So we, we need longer follow-up, obviously, but I, I think there is a cure fraction. I think it's probably somewhere in there. It's not 40 or 50, but it's, you know, I think it's greater than 10%. And it yeah. sort of include like really long-term disease control. And you right? see where I'm going with that in terms of, um, they're the patients who will be relapsing after uh, the, on the pembrolizumab adjuvant study now and they would be getting their salvage systemic therapy for good risk disease. Yep. And we don't know how to treat adjuvant pembro failures. I'm starting to see them in clinic. Yeah. And yeah, it, yeah. I think it's unexcitingly TKI monotherapy is the standard, but I'll admit it's, it's not a wonderful standard. Yeah. So I, I think I'm just saying this out loud is that I think we need to really see the overall survival benefits, see if the therapies for these patients who relapse actually does salvage enough of them that it, you do lose the OS signal. That's what I'm just yeah, the counterpoint you. to everyone's excitement is, I just think we need to keep looking. Just take us through prostate. What's coming up uh, prostate at ESMO? Well, focusing on the kidney and bladders, because there's a lot more interesting <laughs> stuff there. Um, the answer is there's a lot of potential data that may inf- help us understand where we're going in prostate cancer. There are a couple of studies of interest uh, in the peri post localized therapy setting. So they've had uh, a prostatectomy and there's a study called DADSPORT, which is a meta-analysis of salvage radio, post-operative radiotherapy. I don't know if it's salvage or adjuvant with uh, six months or 24 months of hormonal therapy and trying to get a feel for, uh, is there an OS benefit or an MFS benefit in that setting of adding hormonal therapy to post-operative radiation. And then there's uh, a radical study um, of uh, no radiation, sorry, Radiation therapy, including patients who've had adjuvant or salvage or no hormones, six months or 24 months. It's a MRC pragmatic design with lots of patients in with lots of different risk categorization in there. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of that. But I think when it's all said and done, we have to get greater granularity on the patients from these studies to work out who get benefits from zero versus so six months versus 24 months of hormonal therapy, but there will be some data out there which will probably cause quite a bit of conversation, I think. Another study is, um, if I remember the study well, it's the PRESTO study of uh, ADT, testosterone suppression with or without apalutamide. It's the uh, alliance-led study called PRESTO and patients with a biochemical relapse. So we've seen patients with metachronous low volume who in Enzimet, who have a five-year survival go from 65% to 82%, who relapse and have two or three bony metastases with adding enzalutamide to ADT. Now, this is one step earlier, 
and possibly even more hormone sensitive, what's the clinical benefit of adding a potent hormonal therapy to androgen deprivation therapy without salvage radiation in a high risk uh, biochemical relapse? So that's going to be presented, and that'll be the first time we see the effect of these advanced hormones in that setting. Then there are, uh, it's going to be follow up data on Propel. Um, and then there's a study of, of which is abiraterone plus or minus a PARP inhibitor. And then there's pembrolizumab plus PARP plus elaparib versus hormone switch. So I think we're going to see um, data around PARP inhibitors and how effective it is to combine a PARP inhibitor with another therapy, be it hormone, mm -hmm. hormone inhibition with PD or PD1 inhibition. Um, I'm going to guess not that exciting, uh, not much more than we know already. <laughs> And we really have to do a lot of work to drill down on the biomarkers. And uh, I think we're still going to be sequential therapy. And I, my guess is with Pembro elaborate, but the fact that it's not a major topic, not a major presentation, that um, a PD-1 yeah. inhibition and a PARP inhibitor in patients with metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer without uh, a biomarker don't benefit, I yeah. guess. Um, so, Sorry, Chris, uh, that file, was, the, was that the Merck study of Pembro plus elaborate? It's called Keylink, yeah, zero one zero. And it's a randomised phase um, three, correct versus hormone switch, and you've got to be, yeah, you've got to, uh, it's thirteen sixty two mo. Um, I'm reading my cheat sheet to actually remember all this, so don't think I'm a genius because I'm not. <laughs> and Sweeney, I don't think also... anyone ever thought I was a genius. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about that. So there were a couple of people who um, there were a couple of studies looking at um, the uh, Stampede, a couple of oral presentations with. Follow, yeah. further follow-up on the Stampede trial. Well, I saw that in the, in the agenda. What was that? What, do you know what that's about? There are two. So it's long-term survival of um, abiraterone with or without enzalutamide uh, from the Stampede study. Presumably that's both patients with the, in the adjuvant setting, so-called M0, and the metastatic setting. So Gert Attard presenting that. And then Marina Parry from the uh, Attard lab is... Uh, also, we call the, the orthogonal program. That's for another day why we call that. Um, is presenting the results of uh, transcriptome analyses from using the gene expression profiling from the Verisite whole array. Exciting to me, Sweeney, the whole program sounds quite good. You've got some randomized phase threes, you've got some early stuff, you've got some late stuff, yeah, you've got some stuff. I can see myself at the prostate program. I'll be there. There's well, no I'll doubt I'll be there. there. I, I'll be there next year. Yeah, but <laughs> is, there anything, is there anything? Is there anything that's going to. Uh, change what we do on Monday. I'm not sure. Are you expect your hopes are pretty high, aren't they? I mean, I'm not. I'm. Let's wait and see. And let's wait and see. But it does sound to me like a full prostate program with quite a lot going on. Congratulations. Oh, it is. Let, let me just let me just say this. There is a lot that we will learn from this. Is there going to be uh, much practice changing? Not yet. I don't think. I'm, we'll I'm going to rate. I'm going to rate. I'm going to ask you all three to rate them. But I'm going to rate the the kidney first. I'm going to score it an eight out of ten. I'm going, to, I'm going to give prostate seven. I'm going to, unfortunately, bladder, I'm going down to a five. Uh, what are you scoring it, Brian? Um, I'm going to give kidney more like a nine, nine and a half, just for sheer volume and impact and four phase threes and okay. across multiple settings. Okay. Prostate. You're quantity in front of quality by the sounds of things. <laughs> <laughs> prostate. Sounds like... Yeah, I yeah. guess I was more, more excited after Chris finished. So, yeah. yeah, I might be in the seven category. And then bladder, I guess, you know, listen, if the EV PEMBAR data is great, it only takes necessarily one great practice changing study. And I'm not saying that'll be it. 
to, to boost the score, right? It is that is a quality issue. So it could I'm not be the down. only practice changing trial we see. We don't. I'm know. not as down as you are on bladder. Okay, I, I mean I, well, I haven't seen the, the EV. Um, all, 